Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us today. Speak to, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our lives. Because there's a lot of counsel here that if we could just receive it and live it, our lives would be better. There's no question about it. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage we're going to focus on today is found in Colossians chapter 3. So you can, if you want, you can just grab a Bible in front of you and open to Colossians chapter 3. I have the translation that you have. I took one of the Bibles out of the pew and came up here to use it. So here we go. Colossians chapter 3. This is a letter of Paul. Paul writing to the people of Colossae, which is a town in what today we would call Turkey. But an interesting thing about the Colossians, Paul did not actually know them. He's writing a letter to people that he does not personally know because he hasn't been there. In fact, the gospel came to the people of this city uh, by a man named Epaphras. We find that out in chapter 1, verse 7. He said, in verse 6, he says, This gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. And he talks about he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So the church is beginning to mature. Things are beginning to expand. New leaders are beginning to emerge. One of the signs of a healthy Christian community is that new leaders begin to emerge. There can be a community that puts on a good show, packs out the house. Lots of things look like they're happening. But if that community is not producing new leaders and new powerful Christians, if all of the control and authority remains in one generation and does not filter down to a new group, then, then that's not a healthy community. Because when discipleship is working and people are coming to faith and understanding, it's not a passive experience. It's an experience that everyone engages with their whole heart according to their gifting. Now, is everyone a leader? No. Not everyone is called to that role. But everyone is called to a role. And the sign of a healthy community is when people move from being spectators to being active participants according to their gifting. Now, I want to say, last Sabbath was an example of health in this community because so many of you moved into participation as we hosted the group from ATS. There are many examples in this church of people who have moved far beyond spectator to actively involved, but we've got to make sure that continues to go and continues to grow, and new generations of leadership emerge. This is what happened here. Epaphras, somewhere along the line, learned from Paul about the gospel, how to teach the gospel, and then he said, you know what? 
I know these people in this town over here. They're going to love this. And he takes the message there. And now the church is beginning to grow in ways beyond just the narrow preaching of the apostles. New people are going new places and teaching new things. And the church is beginning to grow. And so Paul addresses this community in Colossae. And so there's a lot of great things in this book. But we're going to jump to chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 1. And Paul writes to them, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he's moving on now from really the first two sections. The first chapter is kind of introductory remarks and context. Second chapter, he does a basic theology of of Christ and his purpose and his mission and and us putting faith in him and, and being baptized and becoming a part of this new life. But now as he gets to chapter three, he's getting into the practical section the what-to-do section. And he says here, he kicks it off with these words, if then you have been raised with Christ. So this is the context he has, he has spoken about. When you put your faith in Jesus, you die to your old self, and you are transformed into a new creation. It is as if you are raised up with Christ. Your sins die with him on the cross, And you are raised to a new life in the way he was raised from the tomb. So this is his context. And he says, if in fact you have believed and are now coming into a new life, here's what you need to do. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean become irrelevant. It doesn't mean completely fail to see what's in front of your eyes. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is set your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your focus on the things of God, not the things of the world. I was reading a passage this morning of, of, it was in Matthew chapter 24, I believe. And I was reading it, and it, and it, it was talking about how, how when Jesus appears, it's going to be this, the word it uses is that the, the tribes of the earth will mourn, is the way it says it. And what's, what's really taking place here in this context of what Jesus is saying is, is we have this tendency to get so focused on ourselves and on our things and on what we're doing in this sphere that we can lose sight of what is the greater truth and what is above. And, and as I reflected on that this morning, I just thought about our world right now and the different, the different nations of the world. There aren't too many places in the world that it is a part of the natural discourse and operation of the people to be acknowledging of God and of the reality of Jesus. Now, having said that, I understand there's been some crazy history about this when religion and government get mixed up together and a lot of ugly things happen. Fine, granted, yes, true. 
But at the same time, are we in a healthier spot when, when everything we imagine and seek to do is self-centered, centered on our own selfish desires, our own, our own uncontrolled impulses of ourselves? And when you think about that, and you think about the, the, the new realities that get created within the world, within the, the context of communities, and, and, and they tend to move farther and farther away from an acknowledging of God, what becomes of the people? And what will become of the people on the day when the Lord Jesus appears? I think Jesus describes it well. They will mourn. They will mourn that they were in deception. They will mourn that they did not receive the gift of grace. We remain in this context. And the text tells us, Paul tells us, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of earth. Verse 3, why do we do that? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, there's a tie-in here, I think, uh, not directly, but indirectly. Paul is encouraging us to set our hearts on the things of God and, and, and to the glory that is to come. <clears throat> and there's a link here to a comment that Jesus makes. Jesus encounters a very rich young man. And they have a little exchange. And at the end of it, Jesus says, sell what you have and give to the poor. And the man goes away sad because he had great possessions. One of the interesting things about the gospel is it is very often much easier to receive it when you know your life is hard. But when in the ways of this world, you really feel like maybe you've got it pretty good, you don't always realize how valuable Jesus really is. And he's talking here about when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And if, if your life is really hard and you know that, that is a word of hope. But if you feel like your life is actually pretty good, I can do what I want, I can go where I want, I have all the money I need, that may not sound like such a good thing. It's so much easier. Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because the rich man is so focused on what he has, what he can do, the power in his hands, that he does not realize always the surpassing greatness of what Christ offers. So, so it rolls on. The passage rolls on. Verse 5. He's giving the practical advice here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he makes a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, let's, let's just slow walk this a little bit here and reflect on this. The first thing he points out is sexual immorality. And this is an interesting point, because if you go back to Acts chapter 15, there's the story of the Jerusalem council. And, and the big debate here was how much of the ceremonial law do the Gentiles need to follow? And they come to the end of it, and there was actually an interesting discussion on this uh, that took place last week, because one of the questions we asked 
to scholars was related to Acts chapter 15. But you come to the end of it and they reach sort of a consensus decision that James speaks and he says, it seems good to us that we not lay further burdens on the Gentiles except, and then he names four things. Three of them have to do uh, with food. One is something sacrificed to an idol, something strangled. What's the other one I'm forgetting? Anyway, three of them have to do with how you're going to eat. But there's a fourth one. And the fourth one is refrain from sexual immorality. Now, it's interesting as it goes along, because it it almost seemingly, Paul seems to kind of uh, say, well, okay, yeah, it's a good ruling, but there's a thing or two there that maybe not exactly. He says, we know something sacrificed to an idol is nothing. he, He reflects on that. But he holds the line on this one, on the sexual immorality. That can take different forms. I think every personality type has its danger zone here. And this reality can take, can take different forms. It can take the form of fantasy. It can take the form of, of things acted out. It can take a lot of different forms. But at its core, I think that what it is saying when it talks about this idea of sexual immorality is anything along those lines that is self-focused as opposed to relationally engaged. And you can work that out in your own thinking and understanding because, because even in a marriage relationship, the issue of sexuality can, can get caught in the trap of self-focus. Let's not play the technical game. Let's try to understand what what Jesus is really calling us to. And in some ways, the next word here kind of gives it a little better understanding, sexual immorality, and then he says impurity. You can reflect on that word in your own life, what that word means to you, but but it seems to me that what's being spoken of here has to do... uh, with motive that leads to action. The idea that when we go against, we go against God's best will for us, that we defile ourselves. We become impure vessels. And that the call here is, is to purity. Now the next word is passion. Understand this rightly. This does not mean that the way you are supposed to be Christian is to be uh, emotionless and boring. That's not what we're talking about here. What this word means here, I believe, is that we we are driven by impulses that cause us to do things contrary to God's law, contrary to God's best purpose for us, And we allow those passions, we'll use that word, to drive us to actions that we know are not right. So this is speaking at a motivation level, this idea of passions. Evil desires, again, a similar concept. Well, I'm not going to do anything wrong, but my mental experience will be consumed by evil desire. First of all, that's the, that, that's the recipe for a miserable life. 
because you will all the time being at, try to be acting in, 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 in exact contrariness to what is in your mind. Don't live there. Don't be that person. And covetousness. Covetousness is an interesting thing. Covetousness is, is the desire to possess that which is not my own. And built into that is this idea that, that God has not sufficiently blessed me or, or there are things that I want to the point of a willingness to take them from someone else. He says avoid this. This is idolatry. This is a focus on that which is not God. And then verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And now he starts another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. All right, let's think about that one now. Anger. So if I really reflect, if I really stop and think about it sometimes, I am aware that there are places in my life, places in my heart, where I struggle to not harbor some anger. Frustrations about times when I feel like I was wrong. Irritations about things that came to someone else that I felt like should have come to me. Um, relational disputes that I never resolved. Do you have any of those lurking about in your heart? They're probably not out front all the time. Maybe some of you. Maybe some are, are in an active state of anger even as we speak. But it seems as though all of us have hurts. All of us have losses. And sometimes those things, over time, take the form of anger. And when they dwell in our hearts as anger, they, they affect everything in our life. Sometimes they lead to wrath, which, which can be an expression of anger, malice. Okay, there's, there's active malice where you very intentionally go and set about to make a problem for someone else. As if life's not hard enough to spend active energy trying to make life harder for someone. That's not really the spirit of Christ, is it? But then there's also kind of a passive version of this where it's hard to not chuckle when hardship comes on your enemy. To feel in your heart that, well, they had that coming. To not be gracious. It's that malice in your heart. Slander. Of course, there's the active, obvious slander. We call it politics. No, not always. But often. There's the active out there. But then there's also... There's also this one, where you go aside to somebody and you say, well, I don't want to talk bad, but, and then you talk bad, right? 
So you really kind of did want to do that, didn't you? I hate to say this, but, and then you say something. Now, there is a time for truth-telling, and there is a time for appropriate communication. But, but sometimes when somebody seems to just be getting a little too much attention or, or doing things you wanted to do or something like that, it's easy to just kind of cut their legs. And this is, this is a classic crisis in churches. We're fortunate we don't have a center aisle. That way we can't be split one side to the other. But there are many churches that that is the reality of the church. There's a part over here that, that is holding on to anger from another thing and a part over here holding on to the other side of the issue. And, and very often you lose track of what the fight really was about. Obscene talk. This idea that uh, the things we say just really wouldn't be worthy of us. Goes on, verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Like, lying. So, yeah, we all know on the face of it, we're not supposed to do that. We, we know why we don't like to be lied to. But I've reflected on this one because I find in myself that that inclination sometimes to go ahead and tell somebody what they want to hear, even if it isn't exactly true. And I've wrestled with the why of that. And, and what I've come to in my own understanding is the, the impulse to lie is, at least for me, centered in the desire of being treated in a manner that is not actually consistent with either who I am or what my behavior is. I want you to treat me as though I'm not this way, even though I am. So I have to wrestle with that, to try to bring my reality in line with how I want to be responded to, to actually be the person that I either claim or imply that I am. In verse 10, you have, you have put off your old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew, Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's an interesting list here. And Paul is trying to do a rather, a rather impossible thing. He's trying to bring together into one just this this. Well, entrance into the kingdom of God is based on faith and belief. And you can believe regardless of, of gender or nationality or, or background or any of those things. But the problem is once you believe and you come in there, you also bring with you your context, who you were before. And those things tend to cause us to knock heads with each other. And it's hard for a community to form into a, a wholeness together when you come from so many different places as this. So, so the, the obvious separation, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, but then even goes beyond that, barbarians. The Greeks don't like barbarians. Scythians. 
and then the, the slave and free, but that Christ is all and in all. So how are we supposed to interact as this community of God? Well, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All right, let's walk that list. We've looked at the not-to-dos. Let's look at the to-do list here. Because you're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on a compassionate heart. Okay. This one's a little hard for me. Just going to be honest on that one. I actually, it's not so hard for me with the people I know and love. But it's really hard for me sometimes with the people I don't know. Because obviously their behavior is terrible. Now the people I know, okay, yes, I understand. It's hard. It's a challenge. I, I can be compassionate with people I don't know. Uh, no, with people I know. But the people I don't know, sometimes my heart is not where it should be. This is actually an interesting point that comes up when we reflect on big issue, big picture issues like, well, I don't know, let's say homelessness or maybe immigration. When I think about immigration hypothetically, and I'm not talking about anyone I've ever met, I'm like, well, you know, people got to follow the rules. But when I think about it from the standpoint of someone I know who's struggling to find a place and make it work, I'm like, well, yeah, that applies to everybody, but... but this person I know. When I think about homelessness in general, I, I want to generalize it into you, you got to do better. You got to get a job. You got to work. You, it's not right. You can't live off of this. Why have you turned the amphitheater of Boulder into a campground? No, it's easy for me at a distance. But when it's someone I know, and I think what, what Paul is calling us to is is to try to find a way to extend that compassion beyond the self-serving circle. You, you know, when he makes, when, when Jesus makes that comment, love your enemies, to love the ones close to you, what, what are you doing any different than the pagans? I've proven I can be a pagan. I'm compassionate to those I love. Can I prove myself a Christian and be compassionate to those I don't know. And oftentimes the answer to that is, I don't know. But I'm trying. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Kindness. Do you consciously try to be kind? It's easy for some people. It's really hard for others. But I believe it's a calling for all of us. One of the hardest places for me to be kind is in my car. I'm kind to the people in the car with me generally. But, but to the other drivers who are the competition, if you will. So there's a fun little spot. If you've ever been to the, to the Parsonage, there's a fun little spot on 28th Street as you go past 
first you go past Iris and then you're going north and you come to, to can't think of the name of it. Anyway, we turn on Palo, which is the next one. But you come up to it, right after you go through the intersection, it narrows to one lane. And it actually does so fairly quickly. And then you get past this bridge and, and then you can get in the turning lane and turn towards our house. But there are those people who, who want to get in the right lane and then race you. It's like, no, just get in the line. I know it's longer over here, but that's because we know that the road is about to narrow. Just get in the left lane. But no, they get up there. And then we take off from the light. And you could bet I'm always right on the tail of the car in front of me because nobody's getting in front of me. It's not really the spirit, is it? Where is that place in your life? You didn't do it right. You're being selfish. The Lord has appointed me to teach you a lesson. And I don't think that's how I need to be. Humility. The willingness to let the light be somewhere else. The, the willingness to not demand. The willingness to receive from God what he gives and not complain for what he doesn't. Meekness. And not, not to be confused with weakness, but meekness is, is, I think, one who seeks to do no harm. Patience. Patience is a tricky one. You know what happens when you pray for patience? God sends you opportunities to be patient. I'm always tempted to not pray for that. Patience is hard to develop. So, I thought, did I see Nathan come in and Karen and, oh, why are you hiding on the front row? There you are. Okay. Nathan and Karen, I, I introduced everybody else, so I have to introduce you guys here. This is my son, Nathan, and his wife, Karen. You, you have to stand up and show Flo because we talk about her a lot. So, no, you got to pick her up. Pick up the baby. Pick up the baby. And there she is. Yay. Yeah, I love that one. All right. So Nathan and Karen have been in a, in a crash course opportunity to learn patience. And it works like this. Uh, they're both in school. There are jobs. They have a young child. They have another one on the way. And they have a puppy. And they are always required to do something. And, and there's a fun thing when you come from the East Coast to Colorado with small children. They stay on East Coast time, which means 5 o'clock is a sleep-in for her, pretty much. She's been up every morning early. And the puppy needs to go out every morning early. But the family wants to keep you up late because that's fun. And they have suffered mightily these last few days. 
But that's, that's that patience learning. It's not fun. But the greatest things in life come as the result of patiently staying applied in things that matter most. The stuff that comes easy, it's not the most important. It's the things that stretch you. Patience. So it says, putting on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now we're going to deal with this concept of forgiving as the Lord forgave in a second. But right now I need to ask Alicia to take the mic. That uh, Does Javon have it or do you have it? Where's that mic that we had? We have an extra mic here. And Alicia's going to come up here and teach you a little song that she wrote specifically based on this passage. Now, now it, it, it has a country feel. Let's just say that right off the top, which is unusual because Alicia is not generally known for composing country music. And, and that she did live in Virginia and in Texas, so it's not completely foreign. But uh, share with them this beautiful little number. There's so much power when you're the pastor and you're preaching because I told him no. I would not do this at breakfast. But you would have been so sad. Wait till you hear this. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, songs come to me. When I'm reading the Psalms or different times and, and I will I will write songs. This particular song will make no one proud. <laughs> Not one person here will be proud. Not my mom, not my children, not my dad who's watching, no friends. But um, this concept came to me. It does need to be sung with a southern accent. And you know, you have to live with me. I do. Yeah. I do. All right. So here it is. I was thinking about how the passage talks about putting on clothes and the clothes that are so important in this. So here it goes. As God's holy ones, chosen and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness and humility. Bear with one another, but don't bear yourselves to each other. Just keep your holy clothes on. There you go. There you and go. That's good. You don't want the rest of it. Okay, yeah, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Thank you. There's more. <laughs> and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you. Bear with one another, but don't bear yourselves to each other. Just keep your holy clothes on. All right. Yeah. So, Jared, you may want to work that up. We probably want to work that into the rotation. All right. All right. But it really captures it, doesn't it? And, and I, I like the piece about it because we really ought to be ashamed of ourselves when we do these things. It would be like leaving the house without remembering to get dressed. Do any of you ever have those dreams? You have one of those? I hate those. Those come when I'm not feeling prepared. Anyway. But 
It really is. As Christians, anytime we're not behaving with a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, but rather we're living off those other lists, we really ought to feel some shame for that. Now, I'm not trying to shame you in the traditional sense. I'm just trying to say, those aren't the kind of people we need to be. We need to keep those holy clothes on. And it says, and as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's a high bar, isn't it? Maybe a few of you have done very little wrong. And for you, the bar seems lower. You haven't been forgiven much. But you know what Jesus says about those who have not been forgiven much. They tend to not love much. But if you know how much the Lord has truly forgiven you, that's the standard. Now, this doesn't mean we don't set appropriate boundaries. This doesn't mean that, that we allow ourselves to be in abusive relationships. None of those things. But what it does mean is that we don't harbor things in our hearts. We release. It's a freeing experience, isn't it? All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. See, I think one of the reasons last Sabbath went so well is because so many of you have put on love. And when people came into this community from somewhere else, they experienced that love. They felt welcome. They felt seen. They felt acknowledged. And love brought this disparate reality of people into a single experience. It brings it all together. And then verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, the be one of the best ways to let that happen. I mean, God... God, through His Spirit, is continually speaking to us, so that's, that's one way. But reading this will enable the words of God to dwell in you richly. See, not, not, not reading it to try to, to win a theological argument. Not reading it to figure out what works you must do to be saved. No, just receiving this word into yourself and then, and then dwelling on it as the Lord brings it to you. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, so a tradition that developed in our family over the years that was tended to be a Friday night kind of thing at, at worship time was that we would all pick, we, we, we all got to pick one praise song or whatever it was along those lines that was really precious to us 
And we would, everyone would listen. We would play our song, and at the end of it, then, then talk about it. And we got a chance last night to relive this. Alicia uh, opened the way for us to do this last night. And we all gathered around in the room, and, and we played a Christmas song that was near and dear to our hearts. We all chose different ones, and, and they came from different contexts. And then afterward, each person had to talk about what it was about that the sharing of songs is a powerful experience. And the sharing of explanations as to why that's meaningful. We have barriers sometimes. We have spiritual barriers. We have places that it's okay to talk about God. And then other places where even if we encounter one another, we're not always up front with a, with a spiritual engagement. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it because it's very easy for me to, to, to read the room, as it were, and just kind of fall into whatever's going on, to not, be, to not be that force that takes it necessarily in a more spiritual direction. But we shouldn't be ashamed when we're together to speak of God, to speak of his love, to pray for each other. And that's part of being healthy Christian community, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then really, if you needed a cap for the whole thing, here it is, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, it's... It's a goal we strive for. It's hard to perfectly execute this. But let's, let's put it up there as an aspirational goal. That in all I do, that it would be in the name of the Lord Jesus and that I would have thankfulness to God through him. I'm a huge fan of Thanksgiving. It always had my favorite elements. Food, family, football. Perfect holiday. Although this year we got distracted by the other football, but still. But, but the real goal there, that's, that's a little self-centered, isn't it? The real goal there is that I would have thankfulness in my heart. The holiday itself has an interesting history in American history. There's a, there are roots of it that go back to, to the pilgrims, but it really doesn't become formalized until during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln makes a proclamation And, and I find myself feeling sad for so much of the rest of the world that doesn't have this holiday. They just blow right through the end of November and nobody thinks twice. But it's so special to set aside a day to engage in fellowship, food, and fun. I don't know what your experience was this year or where you are right in this moment. It could be a, a very painful time right now. It could be, 
could be a glorious time for you right now. But as, as we move from Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, let's make a point that we maintain a spirit of thankfulness for what the Lord has done. Thankfulness for his grace in our lives. A thankfulness for his promise to come again and restore all things. And a thankfulness for the gift of God through Jesus Christ that gives us our salvation. I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. and We're going to sing some Christmas songs as we move our way out of this busyness of the year and into this glorious Advent season. We'll be focused on, on different themes related to Christmas, particularly you're going to want to be here, if you're in town, you're going to want to be here on December 24. That's a Sabbath this year. As, uh, as uh, I've invited Pastor Japheth to come and be our speaker that day because I have heard from many people that if there's one time of the year he loves best, it's Advent season. And he says it that way because he's British. He's not here, so we can talk about him. But the rest of us would say the Christmas season, but he says the Advent season. So be here. Be sure you're here and a part of that. And let's see what we can do to have in our hearts the attitude that's described in Colossians chapter 3. The, the love for each other, the meekness, the patience, the kindness. That we would be just a little nicer in the days ahead. A little more patient with those people who, who cut in line. A little more tolerant when our family members drive us crazy. A little more loving. Take these things to heart. Do everything to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hear us today. Guide us, strengthen us, teach us. May we be your faithful servants and witnesses in this time. As we enter into this season, where we reflect upon the silent night when the Lord Jesus was born, may our hearts be ready to receive the newborn King. In Jesus' name, amen.